when to break through the boundaries of average to question the unquestionable is the sign of greatness. It's those moments when you get to the absurd stage that things truly get interesting. Though the world is in need of a new generation of leaders, leaders who have the courage to break through the boundaries and question everything around them. Well, society is yearning for bold and enthusiastic women and men to provide the necessary leadership that will be required for the next leap forward. The journey to get to the brink can be unpredictable, but knowing you're at the brink, pure genius, my friends. Today, we are on the brink of greatness. Well, I did not know that women make up half of the total college-educated workforce in the United States, yet, here's the part I didn't know, 29% of the overall science and engineering workforce. Now, why is that? You know, one of the things about the brink of greatness is we celebrate people that are lifting the bar, that are moving things forward, solving some of the big problems out there. And clearly with STEM, everybody understands what STEM is and in regards to education. Uh, that's today, friends. I'd like you to meet two Brink thinkers on the program here. Uh, first is the co-founder, Julia Harrod is with us. And the CEO, which is a very interesting story how she got involved in all of this, Stephanie Hine. Uh, it's good to meet both of you ladies and welcome you to the Brink of Greatness. So. All right. So we talk about that big that big point out there, uh, Julia, which is really as as a founder of of this. It's called Maker Girl. Maker Girl. You got to pronounce the R, right? <laughs> so yeah, let, yeah let, a lot of I mean, you know, I say that because of accents. People say Maker. No, it's Maker Girl. So <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, you got to do that. So depending on what part of the country you come from, but uh, so tell me what about this, Julia? How did this all happen? Bring me back to the early moment of Maker Girl before it all started, with that kind of a stat that we throw out there that says, okay, only twenty nine percent of the overall science and engineering workforce. Why is that number one the case, and how did that problem present itself to you? Sure. So thank you for having us. Um, so this issue um, is a pervasive issue throughout higher education and then throughout the workforce. I became aware of it being at the University of Illinois as a student and then a master's student in accounting and being at a tier one research institution. Um, I saw how few women were actually in kind of the computer science classes and in more of the STEM-focused classes. Now, Stephanie, when you first well, seen that, why did you, when you say you're seeing there weren't as many in there, why did you think that was, early on now I'm speaking about, why did you think that was that more weren't engaged? Um, I don't know necessarily if I had like a hypothesis of why that was. I just kind of noticed it. Um, and I was also seeing it in management positions during an internship while I was researching CFOs. I also saw the lack of women. Uh, this is interesting to me. But uh, so let's talk about this just a little bit more because it's a great starting point, really, to talk about. Mm -hmm. When you discover this at all, what's your first reaction? Like, is it like, uh, I mean, I'm wondering, is it a bit horrified that there's that void in there? Is it like you're just questioning why that is? Are, or do you, th and I'm wondering because are women not, um, are, they not, are they not pushing the bar as much? Are they not adventurous as much? Are they not, what's happening? Why, why was that? Yeah. So I think part of the reason is a lot of the times there aren't as many 
um, role models that are female for these young people. So they don't necessarily see their moms or their aunties uh, being um, in STEM fields. So they don't see her being a neuroscience or they don't see her being a CFO at a company. So a lot of the time it's a lack of role models and young girls and young people really like to emulate their elders. Interesting. So a lot of the time they'll kind of follow whatever their parents' paths are um, because that's what they know and that's because they want to be similar to their now, now that's a really elders. interesting point. That is a that is a really so you're thinking it's it's more generational, right? That we're looking back generationally, and we're looking at the generation before us and the generation before that. Correct? Exactly. Yeah, interesting. Now let me let me bring uh, uh, Stephanie into that point here, if you will. Stephanie, you agree with that, or do you have a different thought? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Role models play a big part in especially what young girls decide to pursue later on in life. And I think the other um, the other part of why there's a gap between men and women in STEM is um, like a perception. Young women have a perception that they're not as naturally talented at science or at math. Um, you see in like middle school and high school, boys and girls perform very similarly when it comes to standardized testing in math and science, but girls still carry this um, belief that they're not as good and that belief um, alone can deter them from pursuing STEM later on in their life. Yeah. Uh, Stephanie, do you think within the generational conversation now of, of more women not being involved in this, do you think by chance, and, and I'm, I'm just wondering, was that, is any of it related to just sort of a sexist attitude? Um, I think in a way, yes, I think it is more that women look at different STEM fields and they're not able to see someone like them. So they don't feel like they belong there. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would define that as sexist, but I think that's okay. definitely right. um, plays a big role. Yeah, that sounds more generational, that explanation. You know where I'm going with that, Julia? I mean, when, when you it, it founded this back in 2014, did any of it appear to you that it was more of a sexist attitude or was it really truly just generational? I think it's both. Uh, I think definitely, like we talked about, lack of role models, but also I think in classrooms, uh, females are deterred from pursuing like the high AP math classes or science classes. And there's also fewer of their girlfriends um, that are in those classes. So they don't have like as much of a desire to be there because they don't also fit in. Um, and just being a young person, you normally want to fit in. Uh, so that definitely drives kind of your um, aspirations and pursuits. Now, a lot of this is changing clearly, ladies, and this is a topic very interesting to me because I be, haven't been in the executive world before my radio uh, change in life. I mean, I spent 25 years in corporate boardrooms and work with many, many executive women, uh, very much empowered women, and, and really empowered, and many of them that were part of our agency, in fact. And so I find it very, very interesting because there's this big conversation today about the sexist attitude versus what you're saying is generational. For whatever reason, you know, back in the 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s, and, you know, women were more, there was that leave it to beaver era, I will call it, ladies. You know, it was, that was it. She was home, right? I mean, she was home as a homemaker and raising the kids, but that all changed. And it's changed a lot through really the 80s and 90s and right into the 2000s here. But I'll make a statement to you, Julia and Stephanie, and you might agree with this. Maybe you don't potentially, but I think it's very possible that women will rule the world ahead. 
We definitely hope we can make some strides, but we also <laughs> like partnership. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually think they will rule the world because I think they have compassion as well as uh, desire, and it's just amazing that quality women have. So yes, even though I'm a man, I think women rule the world today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there is a there is a point to that, and so I say that. Um, uh, but there, there's a lot of stereotypes in there that have pulled. I think um, that made it a longer road or a harder road, probably for women to really push forward. And you just explained some of that back to the generational aspect of that. Um, and then they maybe think they're not up to that challenge. So, Julia, back to that point now, when you discovered this in your school, I think it was Illinois, you said, was it, the university? Yeah. Yes, University uh, of Illinois. Okay, yeah. So, now, so it came to you in full view then that you seen there was this problem. Uh, how does it go from there? What, did you just feel it was that you were going to do something about it? And what did you do? Sure. So I had kind of been reading all the literature. So in around 2011, Anne-Marie Slaughter's article about how women can't have it all came out. So I started reading as much as I could. And then while at the University of Illinois, I took the social entrepreneurship class. And Lizzie Angley, the co-founder of Maker Girl, she was also in that class. So we were posed with the question, what bothered us? And for Lizzie and myself, we were bothered by how few women were in these STEM classes um, and being at, again, a tier one research institution with some of the most cutting edge technology and research happening. It was a large discrepancy between the amount of women in those really interesting and fascinating, fascinating research um, pursuits. So we saw the lack of women and we were really bothered by this. We were in this amazing class and we actually were able to come up with an idea of how we could actually solve what bothered us. Now, this is you and, and Elizabeth, you're saying, both? Yes. Lizzie Angley. Liz, you call her Lizzie. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, we were both in this course, and then we came up with the idea of Maker Girl, and it actually started off as a way to do birthday sessions um, to teach girls how to 3D print. And at the University of Illinois, we were both in the College of Business, and they had the first 3D printing lab in um, a College of Business. So we partnered the amazing resources of 3D printing in this college and then our idea of what bothered us and how we could do something about it. And we came up with the idea of Maker Girl. So we started Maker Girl and we did our first pilot in I think, November of 2014 with about seven young girls um, and taught them how to 3D print in the Geese College of Business. So you taught them how, how to 3D print. Exactly. Oh, and this is in college now. This is in the school. Yes, yep. This is in one of the Geese College of Business, the main building. Um, and so we had about seven young girls come. And then both me and Lizzie really didn't know how to 3D print. Um, but we knew it was really cool. And we had some people who actually worked in the lab, some students. And they assisted with the session. And we ran about an hour and a half session and taught these little girls um, how to 3D print and then actually different fields that they could pursue that now use 3D printing because also young people and especially women really like to make a difference. So we try to teach these young girls about different fields in which they can actually make a difference. So, But I want to stop you right that. there and yeah. say, so I, I, I got to sure. break in here because here's the deal here. I want you to explain to me now, if you can, if it's possible, explain to me 
3D print. What, how would you explain? How does this work, 3D printing? Definitely. So a 3D printer, at least the ones that we use, they're called Ultimakers, and they're about three feet by two feet. Um, and they're this kind of box, and then it heats up this plastic, it's filament. So it's this plastic spool. It looks kind of like yarn, but it's actually mm -hmm. plastic. Right. And it heats up this plastic through this extruder mechanism. And then with this mechanism, it actually kind of prints how you would think ink prints, but this prints in layers. So it goes at a base layer and then it kind of builds up upon that to build a 3D printer structure with the hot filament then cooling off while it prints. Wow, very cool, yeah. I mean, that's become all the rage, hasn't it, 3D printing? Yeah, it is. It's definitely revolutionizing technology um, and prototyping and design thinking across so many industries today. All right, there are so many applications for it, clearly. So, so how cool is that? So you jump into that, you teach the young girls how to do this then, uh, and that's a real specialty sort of um, field as well, but that kind of, that, so that's, where it's, that's the spark in this whole story, huh? Yes, it is. Yeah, but don't they have to like create their own image that they want printed? So it's not, you know, it's the 3D printing that creates it, but you're teaching the girls actually to design something, right? And then that design is what gets printed. Yeah, exactly. So thanks for bringing that up. So yeah, we actually teach the girls how to not only design their idea, but design it in 3D. So normally they kind of draw out their idea about what they want to print, and then they design their ideas on a platform. It's a free platform online called Tinkercad. And they design their item on this platform. And it's mostly dragging and dropping shapes and editing them. And then, as you said, then we'll take that and put it on an SD card and then actually print it. So, so that first class then with those young girls went really well. And take us forward now. Sure. So we did the first pilot session. And it went really well, so we thought we kind of had something. So me and Lizzie Angley, we decided to do more sessions. So that spring, we did about five sessions, and they all filled up super fast, which we were thrilled about. And then over the next couple years, we continued to do our sessions at the University of Illinois, and then we expanded our sessions to Northwestern and Harvard. And we also came up with mobile sessions. So we launched a Kickstarter, a $30,000 Kickstarter, and we raised money to bring our sessions all across the country, from the Midwest to the West Coast to the East Coast. So that's actually how Stephanie partially got involved, and she kind of ran this Maker Girl Goes Mobile truck that went all across the country. And why we did this is because we wanted not only the young and amazing girls at the University of Illinois, but also we really wanted to reach rural girls and girls from more diverse communities. So this was a way for us to bring our entire curriculum and create a pop-up shop of 3D printers to teach our sessions with girls all across the U.S. Julia, while you were doing this in Illinois, when this all started on 2014, were you, you and Elizabeth, were you in school still at that time? Had you graduated? I, I lost that. Where were you at still? Definitely. So we were both seniors in 2014 okay. slash 2015. Okay. And then I did a master's degree in accounting at the University of Illinois too. So I had a whole nother year. Okay. And then Lizzie Angley, she actually started her career at LinkedIn on, or in San Francisco. So she was not physically on campus with us anymore, but she continued to support um, from afar. Did you say she started a career at LinkedIn? Is that what you said? Yes. 
Oh, isn't that cool? Now, is she still with LinkedIn now? Yeah, she is. So she works full-time there, and then I work full-time. Well, she actually moved back to Chicago since then, but it's still at LinkedIn. And then I also work full-time at a public accounting firm in Chicago. At an account, okay, accountant firm, right? And uh, I'm just curious, what is Elizabeth's role at LinkedIn? Just fascinating. Yeah, she does sales. So she's actually selling LinkedIn products to non-for-profits. Okay, yeah. I mean, LinkedIn is a cool product with social media. I think it's one of the better ones out there, actually, compared to most, you know. Um, I totally agree. Yeah, so that's really exciting to hear that's what she does. My my antenna went up when you said that. Um, very interesting. At some point, I'd like to chat with her more about, I'd like to chat with her, period, about that, uh, about LinkedIn. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so let's do this. This is really, really good. Uh, and so now, in, now I've got it in my mind, and listeners have in their mind that you're at the Illinois, you're in the school at the uh, Illinois University, and that, and you're in seniors. Now I see where the timeline is back in fourteen fifteen, and uh, Julia, that's when you 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 took it further, and uh, and and that's really cool. It shows opportunities. First of all, you were um, being very proactive with your own lives, uh, and really pushing out there. And then this thing started to take off, which again enters in Stephanie Hine. We'll have Stephanie. Now she runs this, she ran this mobile program and this was a, a Kickstarter program. This is also something I'm very fascinated in because there are a lot of interesting Kickstarter type programs out there. Some are successful, some are not. Uh, I'm curious to talk to them as well to find out more about how that went. Now I know a lot of you also out there, listen, are very engaged with charity work and a lot of uh, raising money kind of stuff. A lot of our listeners are engaged with these sort of uh, projects. So I think this will be a great interest to find out how that went because they had to raise, I think it was $30,000 they had mentioned. So let's find out more about that as well. Uh, friends, we're on the brink of greatness here today. And uh, I want to just remind everybody, take a moment. And uh, again, our show, The Brink of Greatness, uh, plays every weekend, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, you can catch the show at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on both days. And you can hear it anywhere in the world, uh, of course. Uh, iHeartRadio, America Out Loud Talk Radio is what you'll look for. Uh, we have a live media player where you can hear not only the live radio show, but you can get all the podcasts there as well. Shows on podcast are on the same app, so it's very, very cool. Uh, on the player or the apps. Apple, Android, or Alexa are our apps, so you can really connect up with the radio stream here and take this anywhere you like. Brink of Greatness goes to podcast every Tuesday. It's podcast day where you get all of this. Now, i got to tell you, I was looking back the other day, and we have really had some of the coolest people on the planet on this show. And that is what we talk about at the top of Brink of Greatness, and it really is exactly that. The whole premise of this platform is built around that. Celebrating the best of humanity with some of the coolest people on the planet. Uh, it hardly gets any better than that, such as Julia Herod and Stephanie Hines. So we'll uh, pause a moment, friends, be back on the other side of the brink with you in just a moment. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world, to unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. News blogs, informative podcasts, and entertaining videos. It's AmericaOutloud.com, where the conversation never ends. 
24-7 streaming on our free apps on both Android and Apple. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. We are speaking with our Brink Thinkers today, Julia Herod and Stephanie Hine. Now, Stephanie's the CEO. Julia co-founded this back in 2014, 2015. Uh, the group is called Maker Girl. And if you listen to some of the opening uh, program, it was really around it, the 3D printing we learned a little bit about as well. But this was all about STEM. It was all about empowering women and encouraging them to get into STEM. Uh, which I, and I want to go right to you, Stephanie, and talk about that because you went. Tell us about what your first uh, relationship or reaction was to this program. How did you first align yourself with Maker Girl? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I was a junior at Illinois, I saw a Facebook post about Maker Girl. Um, I believe it was about the first like pilot session that they did, um, and I just thought it was. A really neat idea. I had never seen a 3D printer before. I didn't really know what 3D printing was, but I was studying molecular biology at the time. So the mission of getting more girls into STEM really resonated with me. Um, and so I just connected with the group and asked if I could come attend. And that's how I got involved. Wow. So you you were, like I said, you didn't know a lot about it as well back then. Now, what year was that? 2015, 16, was it? This was like February of 2015. So your initial reaction and in working with that and with the group and all, how did it go from there to get involved as now the CEO? So I, while I was still a student on campus, um, I was involved my junior and senior year. I did, I ran a lot of the programming. I created a lot of the curriculum that we use during our classes. And then I also um, planned and went on our first road trip that we did in the summer of 2016. Um, and so after that road trip ended, I who was on that? Who was on that road trip in 2016? Who was with you? Yeah, so that was myself. And then two of our team members, Kendall Furby and Pramika Pandian. And they were with you on that road. And what, what was the goal? What did you want to accomplish? Our goal was to bring our programming to rural and underserved communities across the country. And we ended up reaching over a thousand girls through that trip. Uh, but tell me about that trip now. This is interesting because as I understand it here, uh, correct me on this please, but this was like a 10,000 mile cross country road trip, wasn't it? Yeah, we went everywhere from New Hampshire to California and everywhere in between. It was about eight weeks long. All right, so let, let's take this forward now. I, I, I want to know more about that trip. Now, you have these two ladies with you here. Uh, what, were, what were their role? Are they student, what's their part of this? Yep, they were both students at the University of Illinois as well. Um, I believe they were just finishing their freshman year at the time, um, and I had just finished my senior year. Um, basically, we went to different locations across the country, different elementary schools, libraries, Girl Scout troops, uh, museums, makerspaces, a wide variety of places. And we ran our programming like we normally would do on campus at Illinois, but we did it in these communities. Um, now at that point, you're not the CEO, correct? Correct, no, I'm not. I'm, you're just, work okay. And now, uh, can I understand as well that uh, Julia and Elizabeth are not with you on this road trip? Correct. Okay. Now, interesting. So now, and you, so you're really, I guess, what, three students? Is that how would you, is that how you qualify this or? Um, yeah, I had just graduated, but we were all really young. Um, that actually posed some interesting uh, 
problems that we had to solve along the way. Uh, well, now, yeah, well, let's pa- uh, just pause that thought right there. And I want to go back to Julia now and ask you, uh, Julia, with, with Stephanie saying that with these three, what was the impetus behind that to, to uh, empower these three students? Tell me about that, please. What, how did that work? Sure. So I think Maker Girl, we have a dual purpose. So we're not only educating the young people, the seven to 10 year old girls, we're also providing opportunities for university women and men to lead these sessions and work with us um, and create new skills. So part of that, we had these three amazing women um, run the Maker Girl Goes Mobile session. And at that time, Lizzie was working full time and I was about to start working full time. So in order for Maker Girl to succeed, we really work as a team and we have a pretty decently sized team with now our full-time person and then our just, we call them change makers, the university students on our team and then the board of advisors who support us. So we did have these university students run the sessions and still today, a lot of the sessions are actually ran by. All right. Well, that's cool. So that was part of the game plan right from the get-go then. That's right. That was part of the deal that you were trying to do here. Because I was curious at first why you or Elizabeth weren't on that trip. That entered my Mm -hmm. mind, and you just explained that kind of thing, and you were starting your other gigs as well. And so this was an opportunity to get them involved. Now, what a hell of an opportunity for Stephanie. I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. to shine, right, Stephanie? I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that, I would take that, listen, in all full disclosure, I would have taken that opportunity in a heartbeat if somebody had asked me at that point of my life to go and do that. So, but I want to understand now, did you start in New Hampshire? Was it New Hampshire where you started? No, we started in Champaign, um, Illinois, where our university is. So we left from Champaign and we headed out west and then we looped kind of down south and then up through the East Coast. No kidding. So you did a whole, you went from Illinois west and then down around and then up to New Hampshire. Yep. Interesting. So that's almost like a sea, right? Almost like a sea. Yeah, basically. And then yeah. it ended up being a loop in the end. Yeah. So now how did you, did you travel? What did you travel in? Did you, was it a, a car, motorhome, a truck, a, or was it? A van. Um, a Dodge Grand Caravan, and then we have a 12-foot trailer attached to it. So you had a van and a trailer. Yep. Yeah, and 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 there was no, they weren't like painted or uh, any signs or anything on there, was there? Um, yeah, actually, our trailer has our logo and a bunch of gears on it. And actually, the coolest part of the trailer is the back of it had a spot for all of the girls who participated in our program to sign. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. Uh, see, this is what I'm trying to think and get the visual in my mind. So now I see you. Now I can visualize you, in all fairness, driving around uh, the, the, the boulevards of the United States, basically, uh, in this uh, van and the trailer. Who did most of the driving? Was it you or the others? We split it up pretty equally. Did you? Yeah, because that's a long drive. Yeah. And, and so bring us through now. I, I, this is too good to pass up this opportunity because this is a big part of the story, I think, is this mobile thing. So now I, I visualize this and, and, you know, the whole thing is Julia and Elizabeth are missing out on all the fun as they've gone on to their things. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> I say that. I don't really know. What was the craziest experience you had on that trip? Uh, Stephanie. Yeah. What, I mean, there's gotta be one that stands out that you say, this is like the most insane story. What was it? And did you have any flat tires by the way? No, actually I was just thinking, I think the most insane part is that we, we never had any issues with the trailer or the van. We also never ran into any weather at all. 
during the whole trip, which was kind of crazy. So I think we had like a guardian angel following us. Um, but I think like also going off of that, like our age, I guess we were so in a way naive to what we were doing um, and how kind of crazy of an undertaking it was because <laughs> we were trying to check in to a hotel. Yeah. You have to be 21 to check in. And I was 22 at the time, but I was, I was somewhere else and the other girls were trying to check in. And um, it just really kind of, I think that moment really made me realize that like people our age don't really do things like this very frequently. Um, so yeah. And what, what, what city, what state was that in that you had trouble with that hotel? We were in Illinois. Oh, that was when you first left. Um, I think it was actually at the end. Oh, wow. When you just got back. So after this long yeah. journey and then it dawned on you. Yeah. But all through the trip coming through, uh, did you go through Texas? We did. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you can't not not go through Texas, right? I mean, with all of that. And and uh, with this here, but everything else was like, you're saying pretty smooth sailing. You say the weather was good. There were no flat tires, but it, there was like no no problems, huh? Yeah, no issues at all. Yeah. And what was the goals through this whole thing? Now, tell us each step along the way. I mean, just give me an idea, not each step, but through all of these steps. What were you really doing day in and day out? And how long did this trip take, please? The trip took about eight weeks, and the day basically looked like we would get up and we would run um, two or three, depending on where we were, um, of our programming, um, of our sessions that each last two hours long. So we would work with about 50 to 60 girls every day. Um, every, every day. Now, hold on. Every day in a different city, you'd work with 50 to 60 girls. And what was the relationship to get these young women? It, you had something coordinated with the schools or the colleges or what? Yeah. So it was a wide variety of places. I basically just reached out to random Girl Scout troops and, and schools and asked if they'd be interested in having us stop by. And kind of just built the trip that way. Stephanie, this is a massive setup. Who set this all up for you? This, now, all of this trip had to be set up before, most of it had to be set up before you left, right? Yeah, I did that. So before you left, you get most of this trip set up, probably not 100%. There were probably still some moving pieces when you pulled out, right? Yeah, that's correct. Of course, of course. And some people are going to get back to you or some people didn't. I mean, that's just a natural human nature kind of thing, right? right? Yeah. And so that happens, but you had, how, what percentage? Was it 50% uh, or 75%, better or worse, that was pretty well set up when you left the uh, town? I'd say like about 75% or more. I, I, that's what I thought, and I'm, I'm impressed, because that's what I would have done myself. I would have tried to get the majority of it done so you can breathe at least, right? Right? Yeah. And know you're going to accomplish your goal. So, man, I totally get that. So now you're out there, you're doing all of this, you come through all of these moments here, and uh, and now you're bonding with these other two young ladies, correct? There's a bond yeah, happening here. Sure. Yeah, and and their first names, just first names again, are what? Kendall and Pramika. Thank you. And now, do you did you end up? Um, are they still involved in the program, or what? What happened with, to those two young ladies, or did they go on? Or yeah, that's actually a great question. So because of their involvement in Maker Girl, they saw how Julie and Lizzie started this organization just from an idea and a problem they wanted to solve. And they actually decided to start um, their own organization. It's called Cut to the Case. And they're working to um, like take rape kits that are backlogged and speed up that process to get them tested. To speed up what process again? Um, backlogged rape kits. Oh, hold on. Now, this is uh, backlogged rape kits. Yes. 
wow, that's a heavy field. That's heavy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what they started um, after this road trip, and they they both just graduated this year. And so this was some this was a passion they had, obviously something in their life, obviously or whatever, and uh, that's what they're doing. Yep. But and so there's a real entrepreneurial sort of spirit or or something coming out of that school in Illinois, no? Yeah, there's actually a huge entrepreneurial like ecosystem on campus. It's quite amazing. And I, I didn't really know about it until I got involved with Maker Girl, but I'm so glad I did because I've mm-hmm. met just the most amazing people like starting their own things as students. Which is I crazy. really like that when we say an entrepreneurial I- I- ecosystem. That is a great way to sum that up, actually, an ecosystem. And that just breeds activities and thoughts and people that are aspiring to, uh, you know, uh, different heights and um, trying to push the envelope a little bit, which is how you do this kind of thing. So as you come through now, and I'm curious to ask you this as well, throughout that trip on a daily basis, how often would you communicate back with Julia and Elizabeth or Lizzie? I feel like it was, if not daily, at least weekly, um, just Mm -hmm. things like either a story or a social media post that they wanted us to post or. Right. To keep the right, the momentum, the brand, do some marketing here. That's what you say. But let's go to the source and ask Julia. Is that true, Julia? Did they do that? (laughs) Yeah, I think that's about right. Um, It was a while ago, but we definitely had a lot of confidence in those three women. Um, Wow. So, yeah, we didn't, I don't think we, we definitely tried not to micromanage and we knew that they were super busy. So we tried to let them run with it. Um, and that's well, they had this really whole thing, to do. they had this whole thing set up. I mean, with Stephanie, you are a rock star, man. You are a rock star to set this up and 75% of it, which I, I completely understand. And then you leave Illinois and you make the journey all the way through to Texas and you come down. I mean, I, I, that's just one hell of a trip, I have to tell you. And then you do all of that and you, you got this whole setup going on here. I mean, it's unbelievable. Do I understand why this is happening now? Now, correct me on this, Stephanie, but this, uh, I want to talk about this Kickstarter campaign. Now, did the Kickstarter campaign happen before this so you could afford this, camp- uh, this journey or trip, or was it during it? It happened before. Um, I think it was March or April that we launched the Kickstarter. And that was to raise money for this? Yes. It was. And, and how expensive was how uh, Well, how costly was this whole journey, the Maker Girl Goes Mobile? So we raised through a Kickstarter over $30,000. Um, I don't think we used all of it, but between buying like the trailer and the gas and the hotels, it definitely got pretty close. <laughs> and so you had to manage the money and make sure you were doing right things. And you had to stay, you had to sleep too, right? You had to have hotels. Right. Yeah. And did in any of the schools that you stopped with, did anybody else like, um, was there any support from those or I don't, or, or not? Or Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of the times what I would do when I was contacting a location or a school, I would say, Hey, this is the program we have to offer. We'd love to come offer it to your students. We can offer it free of charge if you are willing to put us up in a hotel or with the host family. Um, for the time that we're there. Now, how did that go? I, I knew there had to be something. So uh, uh, how did that go? Did you stay with host families or was it always hotels? No, we stayed with a lot of host families, actually. And that was one of my favorite parts because we really 
got to know kind of the people in the community. Um, and obviously the type of person who's willing to host you is going to be someone who's excited about what you're doing. So it was and really you, you, you met some really cool people, obviously. Did, yeah. are, are some of those people you're still in contact with today? Yeah, actually, there's a, um, an older couple who are both U of I alumni, and they had a lake home in New Hampshire. So that's how we ended up in New Hampshire. And we are actually going there again on our trip this summer. And they just obviously think the world of you, clearly. And right, and they'll do everything they can to help. So you build up sort of a, um, a really interesting group of people who um, become not just kind of a cheering committee almost, but support, right? Uh, support, you know? Yeah. I think is how I'd call it, you know, mental support, you know, right? I mean, you've got to have that out there. You've got to have that sort of uh, backing with people. Uh, so with all of that said, then, this comes all the way through. You, you have the, the, uh, the mobile plan, the Kickstarter deal, um, and um, you've got this money. You do that. You get through. When you, got, when you arrived back in Illinois now from this uh, cross-country uh, incredible road trip where you were – doing all these 3D printing sessions and you say here over what about a thousand girls, right? And all yep. kinds of communities. Yeah. Um, how did you feel when you got back, Stephanie, what was the sense of things? You're obviously probably happy to get home and sleep in your own bed after all of that, but what did you feel? How did you feel? Yeah, I definitely say tired is part of it, but overall really just like really proud of what we did. Um, I don't know if it really kind of hit me at the time, but looking back, like I kind of recognize how, how like what a big accomplishment it was. Um, yeah. I think at the time it was just like, I was proud that I had planned it and that it had all turned out as I had planned. Stephanie, are you as the CEO now here of Maker Girl, is this your full-time gig? Yes. It is a full-time gig. Okay. And that this is what you're doing now. And obviously, once you got back to Illinois, something, well, let's do this. Something else happened, obviously, because you weren't the CEO on the trip when you left, but obviously somewhere from when you returned to now, that happened. Is there mm -hmm. something else happened? More conversations with you and Julia and Lizzie to what was going to accomplish ahead. And I think what we should do at this point is find out what's happened with Make a Girl in the last couple of years. What are you, where, how's those accomplishments coming along? And what the future plans are uh, for the organization. Um, well, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit, again, and the ecosystem that Stephanie talks about here, uh, people, is significant. Um, you just have to feel that spirit of all of this, I think. And just, I mean, this is like what the beauty of, I just want to say the beauty of America is. Uh, the beauty that people can reach to their goals and their dreams and and like Stephanie did, she took it on the road and Lizzie and Julia had the confidence and said, yeah, let's do it. We talk about teamwork and then to put the Kickstarter campaign out there, raise all that awareness. Well, I'll tell you what, after all that, I'd have made, Steph I'd have made Stephanie my CEO as well. We'll <laughs> be back on the brink in just a moment. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older, until now. 
Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. Now listen, the co-founder, Julia Herod, is here and uh, Stephanie Hine, who's the CEO now, who made that trip cross-country. Julia, when Stephanie gets back in there and the other ladies and they're back in Illinois, so you had to be very proud, first of all, that a, you had you had accomplished several great milestones. Uh, there were some really good milestones happening here, but there was also the bigger plans and the dreams for the organization, what you wanted to do. Let's talk about that in a moment here. But when did Stephanie become the? When did you realize or figure out that she should lead the organization? After the Kickstarter and after Maker Girl Goes Mobile for the first tour. We continued Maker Girl, and we really saw that both me and Lizzie wanted to continue our careers, and we really wanted Maker Girl to succeed. So we made a business decision and knew that we needed to hire someone um, to lead Maker Girl. So Stephanie Hine then pursued a master's degree at Michigan in education, and then after school, she also worked at a toy store. So we always really valued Stephanie's commitment and perseverance, attention to detail, and just commitment to these young people and the future generations. So we always loved her and we always really wanted her to be our full-time person. I don't know if she really knew that fully, but we did. Um, so after a couple years, um, we made a business decision and asked her to be our full-time CEO in the summer of 2018 and then she started in around august or september of 2018 so a couple of years after that trip and all that that had happened then julia is when you made the right the the real decision because it was a big decision for you yeah definitely and since we are a not-for-profit we're always looking for funding so and making sure that we're a sustainable model so not only in our sessions but with partners uh, and individual donors and organizations so we also needed to make sure that we had enough to support a full-time person. Let so me talk to you about that, our... the sustainable organization. So how do you raise money now? Sure. So we have a few methods. So one is through our actual sessions. So many times the parents pay for the girls to attend our sessions. So it's a pretty nominal fee. It's about $20. So we have that as one stream. Um, and then we do do public giving campaigns. So we did two Kickstarters actually. Uh, and then we did like a spring giving campaign this year. And then third is just friends or, and then friends and families um, that we know who want to support us. And then we also partner with companies and different organizations. So Johnson Controls actually donated our first minivan that we have. Ultimaker donated 15 mm -hmm. printers that we have. Um, and we So people can donate equipment or they can uh, donate money as well, right? Correct? Yes, money and equipment. Exactly. And, and that's on the website. What is the website, please? Sure. It's www.makergirl.us. Makergirl.us. Okay. So this is important. Let, let me tell, uh, let me just tell all our listeners now. I know there are a lot of 
powerful people listen to this program, and I know a lot of women listen to this program. And I, I bet there are people out there who would love to make a difference and help this organization out. So I would just want to plant that seed just a moment here because I think you all would agree with me, it's worth planting. There's an area, um, there's a, a particular area on the brinkofgreatness.com site, friends. It's called Brink Charities, Brink Charities. If you'll go there, you'll see a setup and live links to be able to get right to their site. You'll be able to click right through and you can see this whole site that we're speaking about right now with makeagirl.us. And, um, and then you can consider and maybe make a donation or get involved or help in some way, uh, whether it's science, technology, engineering, math. I mean, the commitment to what they're doing with STEM and trying to push the agenda forward is significant. I mean, and trying to really change this, well, what we talked about early on, this generational attitude that women were staying out of these very important fields because all roads lead back to STEM is what they were saying when it comes to this engineering and things that they started talking about when we started this program. Um, interesting stuff. So I just want to plant that seed uh, with everybody that that's the way to do that. And when you're there, hopefully you'll check out a few charities and, uh, you know, it doesn't take a lot sometimes, friends. It just takes a little bit here, a little bit there. But if we all do a little bit, it makes a big difference. And I've been saying that right along and I'm confident that's the case. Um, so again, Julia, so you, you had, you, you have the site, you've got, uh, you, you're constantly raising money in the ways that you just said. And, you know, um, with all, all of that, talk to me about now, this long-term plans of where you really want to take make a girl, what, what does the future hold? Definitely. So we want all girls in the United States to be maker girls. Um, so that doesn't only mean that they know how to 3d print, but more just act as unstoppable forces that continue to say yes to all challenges. That's what we see as a maker girl. So that would be one of the goals. And then, um, more concretely, by 2023, we want to educate 10,000 girls in how to 3D print. So we've already educated over 3,000. And if we continue on the trajectory that we're on, we should hit that goal. So we're really excited. And we definitely need that support, though, that monetary support that you were mentioning to make that happen. Because the world works with using money um, and really commit and powerful people. So um, those are our yeah, it always comes back to having to have the resources or the dollars, but and you're doing that kind of thing. Uh, any ideas for, like, Stephanie, that plan, the, the mobile trip you had where you raised that in the Kickstarter plan, and, and when you did list that Kickstarter plan initially, um, were the dollars you put on there 30, was that the initial dollars? You know how you have to put a dollar amount, then you have to raise that certain amount. Was it 30 initially when you put that up? It was, yes. And you raised just over the 30, you said, is that correct? And correct me on this, with those plans, do I understand this correctly? And I'm not positive of this, so forgive my ignorance. But uh, is, do I understand that you have to raise all 30 to get the money, or is that not true? No, you're correct. It's all or nothing. Oh, it is that way then. Okay, seriously. So you have to raise also, if you raise 22, you don't get the 22 then? Correct. Isn't that wild? So what do they do? Send it back to the players, to the people? Um, I'd assume so, yeah. I mean, they can't keep it themselves, I guess, right? No, no. I don't think so. And when you do that, do they take a percentage or something? How do those how do those plans work? Do they take a piece uh, of it? or? Um, I don't remember. Julia, do you? 
I think they do. I think it's like 0.3% or 0.03%. Um, I don't really quite remember, but it's, they definitely do do a fee because they're also in the business. So they need to make money. So they do take a fee. Most platforms in um, public fundraising do take some sort of fee. So it just kind of depends, but it's pretty much in that range. Um, and, and unfortunately, I don't know the exact amount. Yeah, yeah. And this one, uh, you must have checked them all out. This one was probably competitive when you did it, I'm assuming. Yes, exactly. We checked them all out um, and we looked at all the different types of platforms and we thought that Kickstarter was the best, best platform for us. Um, and we did like that we, it was kind of all or nothing um, because it put our kind of touches on the line um, and made sure that we kept to what we said we were going to do um, and really made us accountable as a team to our community. Yeah. And you have a board of advisors and all of that, I believe, right? Because you had one of our previous Brink thinkers, in fact, uh, Greg Nance was on your board. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. So we have an awesome board, including Greg. I so enjoy talking with him. There's certain um, uh, Brink thinkers that uh, stay in your mind, ladies, and he, he's one of them. Uh, he, he just was a really cool guy and the work he was doing. Uh, truly, truly tremendous. Uh, great, great friend of this uh, platform here. We, we really enjoy him. Um, I want to ask you, Stephanie, now, um, what do you see as far, I'm thinking now about how to, what, as the CEO, Stephanie, what does the next leg up look like? What's the next leap forward to you? What what do you accomplish next with this thing? Yeah, that's a great question. So kind of have a two-part answer. The first is to continue to expand to more universities across the country, um, because as Julia said earlier, our program really has two parts. We're working with the seven to 10 year old girls, but we're also working with university students. And I think both of those parts are really powerful. So I want to continue to expand that. Um, But then I think in addition to that, um, outside of the programming that we offer in person, I'd love to create, um, take our curriculum and package it in a way where we can provide it to schools and provide it to different maker spaces so that they can continue to run our programming even if we're not in their community. So why did you focus on seven to 10 year old girls? So when Julie and Lizzie were initially doing research on women in STEM, what they found is that um, girls tend to stop saying yes to STEM related opportunities around middle school or age 11. So we decided to work with the age range right before that. That makes so much sense. That's a great question, Kevin, for sure. that, That makes a lot of sense to me because I do see the young women, or young men for that matter, that's a crucial part of their life, in other words. And they either are going to take it seriously or they're not going to take it seriously. And what you're saying, Stephanie, is that those years right after that, if you don't plan accordingly, then you don't go down that trajectory, right? You don't get educated in those fields. And then it's really, then it almost becomes impossible because then you're catching up. Very difficult to catch up when you're 18, 20, 22, right? Right. I mean, if you never studied any of that. So you're going back to really the sweet spot of when people, young people really need to decide, right? How serious they are or not. Yeah. And I think part of what we do is really just expose them to 3D printing and kind of open their minds to the possibilities that are um, available. So you use 3D printing as sort of that, um, that concept. That's the carrot sort of you put out there, Stephanie, right? Yeah, it's kind of like the tool that we use to help them learn to use their imagination, to teach them that STEM can be creative. It doesn't have to be just solving a math problem. 
um, and to help them try and fail and persevere through that. Now you're you're building some smart people here. I mean, you you can't you're, you're talking about you're really talking about empower. I mean, you, this is big stuff here. We're talking about you're talking about empowering a whole new generation. And and great, it's women, ter- terrific. But what I'm saying is that if we don't do this here in this country, and I want to talk about that just a moment here, ladies, because if we don't do this in America right now. What's happening is there are a lot of, in all due fairness, there are a lot of international students that are here in our universities and in our schools across the nation that are learning all of this. They're highly educated, and then they take it back home. And a lot of that, uh, that those smart people and those those educational gifts are lost, and they don't end up being here in this country. And that's something I've addressed before in our news programs. Uh, speak about that, Julia, a moment for me. And I think that's an interesting juxtaposition when you think about, you know, in other words, high achievers and what this next generation means. And if we don't learn in this area of STEM, you're not going to get the next big group of thinkers and people who are doing awesome things. It's important, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely important to have really smart people um, in our communities and leading our communities. So I think education is really foundational. And I think kind of what you were getting at is bringing students to the U.S. and then kind of having them stay in the U.S., which I think is also a really big issue in the world um, and particularly the U.S. because we do have some of the leading institutions and universities um, and really keeping that talent here. Um, And I think also the University of Illinois has the same concern because they really want the Midwest to really thrive. So Chicago and Champaign are really trying to keep the talent they, that they create in the Midwest and not only just go to San Francisco or New York. Um, so kind of back to that ecosystem that the university is creating. Also, the city of Chicago is creating here too to keep top talent in the city. So there's a going concern for that uh, is what you're saying, Julia. Definitely. Um, definitely, uh- definitely, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited to hear that because I don't hear that anywhere, really, to the level of what you just mm-hmm. said. And I see it as a growing problem in our cycle where we're not keeping those people here. They're bringing that back home. Um, and that's a real problem. Stephanie, what do you find? T- t- tell me something a minute here, please. You've, you've interacted with a lot of young people, a lot of women of all ages here through this program. What is your sense, or, or can you shine any light for us on international students versus students uh, here in America? Any, can you spell out any differences for me? Anything come to your mind that, that makes you aware of the problem where I'm speaking of, where we don't keep the talent here, you know? Yeah, I wouldn't say I've seen it so much with the seven to 10 year olds. I think for the most part, we've worked with students who are from the U.S. and live in the U.S. Um, But I definitely think, like, just to reiterate what Julia said, that for sure, I think the Midwest and especially Chicago and Champaign do have this mindset of, like, they want to keep the talent that they're producing um, in the Midwest. And then I think even broader than that, like, you were talking about, like, the gap between women and men in STEM and why it's important to have women in STEM. And if you think about it, if we don't have women in STEM, we're kind of missing out 
on like 50% of the population's ideas. So that's kind of why it's important. Well, I, I mean, I promoted more women in my executive years as the CEO. I promoted more women than I did men for the reasons that many of them were more qualified. And they had uh, certain skill sets uh, that allowed themselves very well to their management skills and their leadership abilities. So I fully understand this program. I think everybody's capable, men and women. I think men and women are equal, by the way. I think they both can achieve great things and should achieve great things. So I think this new generation we're living in is very exciting to me, to Malcolm, because it allows the fact that we are on an equal level playing field. And I think that opens up the future to be even more promising than what we could imagine. Uh, speak to that, Stephanie. You agree with what I say there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you pretty much nailed it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. Julia, you last comment? Totally. I think it's super important. And we want men and women to be equal in these positions of power to be representative of the actual population. So we don't not we not only want women to really succeed in management positions, to, but also to be potentially um, to potentially take the position. So we don't want just women to be promoted because they're women, but really because they are actually qualified and really do and will fit the job really well. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, that is a really valid point to say there. And I, I can't, I mean, I would endorse that a, 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 a thousand percent. Um, you, you get promoted and you grow on the, on the merits of who you are and what you do. I mean, it's your ability to accomplish whatever it is you're going to accomplish. That's what it should be based on. I, I agree with you, not whether you're male, female, black or white or Asian or anything else. Right, ladies? We all agree exactly. with that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, wouldn't the world be a better place if that's the way we, we all did this? I mean, that's what it should be about. Well, listen, I just want to reach out to both of you and congratulate you. And, and Stephanie, congratulate you on just an unbelievable, successful program uh, that I'm so proud of you in that mobile uh, program you did, the Maker Girl Mobile, was just truly incredible. Thank and you. so I congratulate you with that and just wish you, like, the most incredible success ahead, uh, truly. And what about and talking about being future thinkers, uh, Julia um, and Lizzie as well. That truly remarkable visionaries. I would say you're visionaries, uh, Julia, uh, to be able to see this need and to be able to reach out and have the trust and confidence to get Stephanie involved is just a smart business decision. While you're doing these other things, and we'll see what form and shape the organization takes ahead. Right the end of the day yes exactly thank you and we're also doing maker of mobile again this summer it starts june 7th june 7th and you'll be doing another cross-country trip yes and we're focusing on the east coast fantastic fantastic absolutely well i'll leave you with my parting words the brink of greatness can only happen when you're willing to push beyond the boundaries and limitations that are holding you back what's holding you back friends Remember to take the next leap forward.